It's January 27th. It's Thursday. This is Real Talk. Ryan Jesperson here with you. Excited for this show. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we're going to talk about paid sick leave and what we've learned about paid sick leave, most notably who has it and who doesn't, and the difference it can make, the game changer it can be. That's coming up uh, with a, an advocate, uh, a doctor, an expert, uh, an emergency physician out of Peel, Ontario, coming up in about 10 minutes. And then the former mayor's club, we're getting the band back together, so to speak. These are um, individuals, community leaders that were steering city councils, you might call it, in the cities of Calgary, Red Deer and Lethbridge, uh, three of Alberta's uh, off the top of my head. Can I say five most populated cities? Lethbridge, I would I would think that uh, Lethbridge, Fort McMurray, Grand Prairie, these are all going to kind of be in the same ball. But Chris Spearman will know the former mayor of Lethbridge. I'm going to say three of Alberta's five. Most populated cities. I think so. Certainly top six. Our friends down in Lethbridge right now are going to be either we're not giving them enough respect or we're giving them who knows. We want to talk about ambulances. We want to talk about the perspectives that these mayors have gleaned since they've you know been out of office now for a couple of months, a few months. And uh, it should be a good conversation. Plus, your emails, your notes, your messages. I've got one here from Nancy, who's very curious about what's going on with Alberta's Auditor General being blocked. I'm going to get to Nancy's email in just a little bit. We're keeping a keen eye on other stories making news as well, including this this, uh, you know, freedom trucker convoy what's it called again i'm getting mixed up the united we roll was the other one and this truckers for freedom yeah and uh, my comments yesterday and uh, thanks to everybody that checks it out thanks to everybody uh those of you that are listening right now because you downloaded our podcast you check us out on youtube you share our content it has hit the greasy channels uh just about an hour ago i can tell i'm not sure which uh far right winger shared it but but i'm starting to get my twitter mentions are starting to get lit up here um everybody's reminding me that i was fired from terrestrial radio everybody's calling me legacy media and irrelevant this is i love this stuff you guys i really love this stuff so maybe really we couldn't tell i'll I'll drop into my twitter maybe through the show (laughs) all the all the it's all it's all the people with flags in their twitter bios like all the different flags from where their great-grandparents came from it's like an it's like some sort of a purity test i think and um they all have like six or seven or eight or nine numbers after their name it's all like it's all like hullabaloo six nine seven four six says didn't you get fired for so i I appreciate all the comments I feel like I could write a bot that generates these. Yeah, accounts. well, I think that like, that's maybe what's going on, as a matter of fact. So uh, Sarah Hoyle's keeping an eye on the stories that are making news today. We'll get to Hoyle's in just a second. But of course, I want to remind you that this show is presented by the team at Bitcoin. Well, and check this out. If you follow them, you can follow them on Twitter, Instagram. Obviously, they're all over social media channels. They've got Bitcoin for beginners coming up February 2nd. It's a great opportunity. It's obviously free. You can learn a little bit more about Bitcoin and crypto coming up February 2nd. You can find all the details. Follow bitcoin well on instagram you can link to their website through ours under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com real talk starts right now here's ryan jesperson oh and a whole bunch of you want to see the juiced olympics 
Sarah Hoyles, we were talking about this yesterday. We were talking about athletes that have shamed or disgraced their sports. It was the poll that we ran last week in our Get Real Question of the Week. This week, by the way, we're asking you about sleep, your sleep habits. And we'd love for you to chime in. You can find our Question of the Week uh, on our website, ryanjesperson.com. But yesterday, Hoyles, we're talking about Lance Armstrong and doping. We're trying to figure out or we're speculating with regards to why hundreds of our audience members put Lance Armstrong over people like oj simpson oscar pistorius both of them murderers uh and and as well as like you know i mean like you know you take a look at penn state and the the horrific horrific sex abuse that happened at penn state jerry sandusky did not wind up top of our list it was lance armstrong for his doping and then you and i started sort of creatively meandering as we do and we started talking about the juiced olympics and yeah Yeah, some people are writing in to say all of the athletes in the Juiced Olympics would be dead by their 45th birthday. Sure, but I'll tell you more people statistically were writing into the show. I was getting hit up on Twitter. I was getting hit up on email. People want to see it. And they're even suggesting events like, for example, uh, Pav said there could be like they said they'd like to see new events at the Juiced Games like fly fishing. But you fish from your flight suit after you jump out of a plane. They want to add sort of like a new biathlon type thing. Will would like to see driving range for maximum distance. Uh, And what about this? Cole wants to see a home run derby, a baseball home run derby with extra points for distance. So they want to go back to the days of McGuire bonds. Shout out to Sammy Sosa. Shout out to David Ortiz. Ortiz in the Hall of Fame now. Uh, But Barry Bonds is not going into the Hall of Fame. We talked about that because of his juicing. Um, Will would also like to see parkour with various levels of danger on the course. Everybody wants the juiced games, but they want them to look a little bit different. I love it. I am here for it. And I love I could just feel like Happy Gilmore, like talking about trying to get the most distance, like just taking a full run up. Yes. And then just cracking it. It yes. would be amazing. And these would be and we want the guys, like everybody's seen them, the the the, the athletes that they, they can't walk normally, right? They've, their lats are so developed, their lats are so big that they kind of walk like this and and they can't really shoulder check when they drive. Just they have them there's so much money. It's obscene. They look like they don't have a neck. It's just it, these are the type of athletes that we're looking for. Um, the ones that kind of look like Joe Rogan a little bit, as a matter of fact, which is my segue into another story that we're keeping an eye on. Uh, Spotify uh, took Neil Young's uh, essentially his manif- his uh, his mandate, not really a manifesto. And uh, Neil Young said, if Joe Rogan's staying on Spotify, you got to pull my tunes. And Spotify said, fine. Yep. OK, bye bye. Bye bye. Yeah, I mean, they're saying that uh, the artist is expected to lose 60%, 6-0% of his streaming rem- revenue. Which is probably whatever. Yeah, and I mean, like, he's made his money. He's made his millions. This is really nothing for yeah. him. This is a matter um, of principle. And, I, and that I am here for as well, as you know. <laughs> uh, Neil Young's net worth, who knows if this is even, I don't know if these are really accurate online but you can find you know you go online you type in someone's name and and it sort of estimates his net worth they say that his net worth is around this is according to celebritynetworth.com who knows if that's even legit uh but they estimate his net worth around 200 million dollars 
Um, yeah, which I so. mean, you got you got to manage that carefully. You know, a couple bad investments, a couple bad bets. Then next thing you know, you're down to 150 million. And then what? Right. You're scraping the mold off the bread in the mornings before you make your wife the sandwich, uh, before you make French toast, scraping the mold off with your 150 million. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see Spotify. Sam, you were making an interesting point yesterday. Generally speaking, Spotify, uh, not as much of a music service you were saying as much as a podcast service was that your idea i think the public sees them as a music service and that's certainly what launched them and that's what got spotify going but uh over the years it's developed um spotify and other streaming services you know it's not really profitable just to do music so spotify is making a huge push to podcasts purely for the idea that like this is where they can actually generate some real revenue hence the hundred million dollar deal to get joe rogan over there you know for example real talk you can get it anywhere you get your podcast right so if you google podcasts apple Podcasts, spotify you can go around the joe rogan experience you will only find on spotify it drives it there it's the exclusive and and he earns you know from that a pretty penny right so interesting to see whether or not this resonates with podcast i have to assume number one that the person calling me on my phone right now doesn't know what i do for a living and when and number two <laughs> no i cannot take a call as we speak uh but but number two you have to assume that spotify is willing hoyles to, to kind of i don't know if this is is doubling down but they're not dumping rogan neil young put them into a position where they kind of had to make a decision right they can't continue to release his music without without his consent obviously but it does I wonder the magnitude of the statement it would send to other musicians. Like if all of a sudden it's Neil Young and the Rolling Stones or it's or or if all of a sudden it's six of the top 10 streaming artists on Spotify, you wonder if it might be any different. Um, I think we all know the real answer is that Spotify Joe Rogan is the golden goose and they're not doing anything to disrupt what they have going on with him right now. Not a chance. I mean, they've said that they've taken down, they've removed more than 20,000 podcast episodes related to COVID since the start of the pandemic. Okay. So they're saying that they have policies in place. I mean, another thing that is worth noting is Neil Young took down the open letter and yet Spotify is still moving forward. So I'm not really sure what that gray area is. Like, is Neil Young still still saying that and still backing that? Oh, do you think it might have been like he's walking it back and Spotify is showing him what's up, do you think? I don't know. I, I wonder if his like record company was like, um, huh. do you think I like Neil? I appreciate it. I like, I, I value your perspective, but <laughs> yeah. um, maybe we need to be, I, I'm really, I feel like he's opened the door. So it's, I think it's, It'll be telling. I'm with know? Troy on this one. Troy on our live chat says, yeah, when those dollar thirty seven monthly checks stop rolling in, Neil will be sorry. I, I think that there's I don't have like insider knowledge on this, but some artists have released information by way of like their Instagram where they say, hey, FYI, you used to be able to say an artist would make a dollar or two from every album that they would sell from every like $16 album that you would buy at NB Sound or HMV or wherever you get it, the, the, the artists would make like a dollar or two. And then now people are trying to figure out how do these guys actually get their money? Uh, how many live streams does it take to earn a dollar, for example? And it depends on the platform and it depends on the artist. Uh, I saw one artist a while ago release and say that a song needs to be streamed about 12 times for them to earn a dollar, which was kind of interesting, some interesting insight. So how much does Neil Young risk to lose here? I don't think Neil Young's in the stratosphere where he cares about that. He's in the autumn of his life, let alone his his career. And, you know, we'll see what what happens. Uh, There's no way that Joe Rogan's going anywhere, though. I'm also not so sure about how I feel about this. We had 
Professor Tim Caulfield on the show, um, a couple of guests, as a matter of fact, talking about why they signed on to that open letter, asking Spotify to ramp up its standards. This after Joe Rogan had a couple of questionable uh, experts, some questionable testimony on his podcast about COVID. But I've seen a lot of people talk about the idea of canceling or stifling out voices you don't agree with. And I am going to say in this regard, I think we need to continue to have these conversations. I do not support immediately snuffing out and canceling voices you don't agree with. I do think that there is a huge conversation that needs to be had about uh, specific focus and specific protocol and specific they call them the SOPs you know the operating procedures standard operating procedures during a pandemic there are different stakes the game is a little bit different but bigger picture um, for obvious reasons I'm not the type of person that gets behind the idea of the mob canceling voices they don't agree with or uh, uh, you know trying to get interviews killed that that make them uncomfortable I also think that the public and humanity in general has uh, the unique opportunity to vote with our feet vote with our eyes vote with our subscriptions vote with our downloads you don't like something don't listen to it and the world has an interesting way of of, of canceling out those things themselves when, when you lose your support when you lose your subscribers gone you are Certainly not the story with Joe Rogan, probably the most subscribed to most downloaded podcast on planet Earth, quite literally. So it makes this conversation somewhat unique. We're always open to your takes. Would love to hear what you have to say about this talk at RyanJesperson.com is our email. And of course, Real Talk RJ, our hashtag that's powered by our friends at Park Power. Check this out. We love the real life stories. I can tell you about how, you know, they offer Internet, electricity, natural gas, fixed and variable rates. You can cancel any time. But it's tweets like this one that I think speak loudly, maybe more loudly than anything I can say, even with this microphone. I love this one from Larry, who says we received our first Park Power electricity bill just on power alone. It's 36% less than our previous bill for the same amount of power. Thanks for letting us know about them. Real talk. That from Larry. Larry saved 36 bucks on his power bill last month. Love it. Way to go, Larry. Parkpower.ca is where you can find them online. Also, a big shout out to our friends at Kubi Energy. Jake wants me to continue to remind you, and I'm hoping that every job seeker is here in this mention. Kubi is hiring. It's their spring hiring blitz. In particular, they're looking for installers. That means electricians and electrical apprentices in Alberta and BC based out of Edmonton and Kamloops. You can be working across Western Canada. Of course, the job can fit your lifestyle. And listen, if you're not yet an apprentice, you're not yet a journeyman, you don't have your ticket, so to speak, they want to work with you. They're looking for great people who are eager to contribute to a team that's growing and growing fast. Also, sales positions available. You can find them online at kubienergy.ca. All right, let's get into this. COVID-19, we know this, has highlighted uh, the fundamental public health recommendation, stay home when you're sick. Uh, Research demonstrates that staying home when you're sick is one of the most effective containment strategies for infectious disease. But what happens if you don't have paid sick leave? What happens if you're barely earning enough to get by, let alone thrive? What happens if you feel forced to go to work based on your family's bottom line? This next guest, Dr. Gabriel Stephen, has done a ton of work in helping people understand the importance of paid sick leave. And we're grateful that Dr. Stephen's joining us on the show, an emergency physician out of Peel, Ontario, a member of the Decent Work and Health Network. Doctor, welcome to Real Talk and a good morning to you. 
Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. As an emergency physician, what put paid sick leave on your radar? Why is this so important to you? Well, this is something that I've been talking about, and we as a group at Decent Work and Health have been talking about far before the pandemic. Um, the reality is, is that I see the outcomes of not having paid sick leave all the time in the emergency department. It's not uncommon, for example, for uh, patients to leave before test results are back because they need to go to work. Um, I recall uh, very early into my emergency medicine training, uh, one patient in particular who was suffering from heart failure, quite literally required oxygen, and I needed to admit the patient into hospital. And they signed out against medical advice because they needed to go to work. And as an emergency physician, for me, um, you know, I'm trained to identify medical emergencies. And so there was a big moment for me where I realized, you know, if I'm trained to identify medical emergencies and I see someone here that could quite literally have an emergency that needs admission and they leave to go to work, it tells me that many workers in this country are not working to thrive, but are just working uh, to barely survive. Um, and that's what really put paid sick days on the map for me. And it's we've been talking about it for a long time. And the pandemic has just highlighted just how important it is. Check this. I mean, I, I, for you, I'm talking to the audience right now and saying, check this out. This report before it's too late, how to close the paid sick days gap uh, during COVID-19 and beyond. Here are a, a couple stats that I think will paint a pretty clear picture um, as we continue to pick your brain. Look at this recent data, this from the Decent Work and Health Network report that we just mentioned 70 percent of workers who are earning less than twenty five thousand dollars a year have zero paid sick days 70 percent of them when it comes to workers in canada across the board regardless of salary still a majority 58 percent of workers in canada do not have paid sick days 42 percent do but there's a real discrepancy doctor as you know very well when it comes to income check out this graph and for the benefit of those that are listening on the podcast we'll spell it out if you're making less than 25 grand uh, nearly 80 percent of workers and and more women than men by the way lack access to paid sick days uh, but as you might guess as you make your way toward more money the more money you make the more access you have to paid sick days it's a trend that when you put it out like that, it's pretty tough to ignore, isn't it, Doc? Absolutely. And, you know, this this also plays out in the uh, environments where we're seeing outbreaks as well. Um, so COVID-19 has uh, given us a lot of data with regards to where outbreaks are happening in the context of this big scale pandemic. Um, early on in wave two, wave three, we were seeing um, that essential workplaces were really the places where we were seeing a big drive uh, when it came to um, uh, COVID-19 outbreaks, especially here in Ontario. Um, we can see that the outbreaks were particularly at big mass uh, manufacturing plants, factories, places where we see majority are precariously employed, largely um, immigrant as well as uh, people of color workers um, that were working in situations where they didn't have access to paid sick leave. Um, and so absolutely, we see that the groups that are most affected by a lack of paid sick days are the groups that are also affected by all kinds of other health issues, which are largely low income uh, and people of color and women uh, in our workforce. Jill has an interesting comment watching this morning live. She says, what's the point of having free health care in this country if some folks can't take off work to access it? Free health care, paid sick leave should go hand in hand. Now, you're an emergency physician. You're obviously a medical expert. How much do you get into the politics of this? Like when, when I ask you what policy should look like, 
who should implement that policy, who should show political will and leadership on this. I mean, whose lap does this fall into? So it's been an absolutely frustrating situation because I, I you're right. I'm an emergency physician. It's not my bread and butter to be jumping into the political game and trying to lobby politicians to talk about this stuff. But when you see that this is negatively impacting uh, uh, workers and people that I'm taking care of, I mean, I work in Peel where we absolutely have a huge number of people that work in temporary uh, uh, agency factories, uh, people that are precarious workers. It's hard not to step up. And in terms of whose lap this falls on, this falls on every level of government. Um, we know that a large number of our, our workforce is governed by uh, the province. And so the province actually dictates the Employment Standards Act at different provincial levels. But then federally, uh, the federal government dictates the Canadian Labour Code, which um, impacts federally regulated workers. Canada really lags here. I mean, this is not... Um, rocket science. When we look to other countries, there are other countries that have plenty of paid sick days. So when we look at Australia, Australia has 10 days of paid sick days. Sweden offers 14 days. Germany offers up to six weeks. And in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic, New Zealand joined these other countries in providing at least 10 paid sick days. Um, even places in the United States, San Francisco offers nine days of paid sick days, and New York offers more paid sick days than we do. Uh, Colorado. There are so many jurisdictions where we produce this data and it does result in impacts in pandemics. U.S. cities that have access to paid sick days had a 40% reduction in flu during flu waves. So there's such good evidence here. And it's just very frustrating to see this being ignored because of preconceived ideas people have around workers, things like workers will abuse paid sick days is a narrative that I've come across a lot. Frankly, it's not true. I'll give you a stat right now. I talked to you about San Francisco. San, San Francisco provides nine days of paid sick days and has been providing this since the mid 2000s. And San Francisco has studied the impact of paid sick days in their, uh, in, their, in their city. And they saw that in terms of workers that now receive paid sick days, median workers used about three days of paid sick days and a quarter of workers used none. Hmm. We have to trust workers here. And there's so much inherent bias in policies that are being created. And it is frustrating when I see the downstream effects of this in the emergency department when people are coming in because they just couldn't take time off work. You mentioned San Francisco. It's somewhat unusual. I'm assuming that it's a city. That's a, is that a municipal legislation? How unique is that based on all of the jurisdictions you've studied? Yeah, so in the United States, it's, it's interesting. So um, there is municipal power uh, to implement these things. Um, in, in other jurisdictions, like other countries, it is more on the country level. So hmm. when we talk about New Zealand, when we talk about Australia, Sweden, or Germany, it, it works out to being at the country level that we're seeing these policies implemented. This is, uh, this is interesting. I'd, I'd prefer that my next interview be with sitting mayors because we could really put them on the hot seat. But I'm going to be talking to three, four, Former mayors, the former mayors of Lethbridge, Red Deer and Calgary, right after I talk to you. So I'm going to ask them about this, if that's something that was even on their radar, if that's something they would even consider. I think it's really interesting because mm -hmm. if you start the conversations at the municipal level, or let me just say, if you kickstart the conversations without some sort of a, a focus point, like you don't just say, I'm going to talk to my member of parliament about this, or I'm going to lobby the provincial government on this, but you just start a bigger societal conversation. You wonder if you might see more of a grassroots movement where Canadians 
start to demand it, right? You can add this to the list, doctor, right? I mean, you're you're in healthcare. You know, you're not a dentist, but you don't need to be one to know that dental health means good health. Why don't we cover dental health, right? We talk about access to mental health resources. We talk about paid sick leave. All of this is a part of a bigger conversation about a holistically healthy population. You know, you make a great point. And this is the wonderful thing about the last two years is that paid sick days has been on the forefront in a way that it's never been before. And it's actually thanks to grassroots initiatives. So groups like Decent Work and Health, the Workers Action Center, um, this there are different groups across the province. But at the municipal level, the Toronto Board of Health uh, was calling for paid sick days to be implemented at the Ontario provincial level. Um, there were uh, Minister of Health, uh, sorry, um, medical officers of health across uh, different municipal jurisdictions, public health uh, professionals that were also coming out in support of paid sick days. And in response to this, we did start seeing some movement in legislation. So Justin Trudeau, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, in his um, uh, uh, federal election campaign promised 10 days of paid sick days for federally regulated workers. I wanna spend a quick moment to talk about that. So this is Bill C-3. Um, so Bill C-3 is the federal legislation that actually has passed. We have not heard a word of when this will come to effect. I was so excited about Bill C-3 because really this is 10 days of paid sick days for federal workers. This is huge. What it's actually panned out to being, I am a little bit concerned about. So the way this is actually going to play out if implemented is that this is going to be an accrual model. In other words, workers will get three days of paid sick days on day one that they start their job. And then every month they have to earn an additional day of paid sick days up to a maximum of 10 paid sick days in a year. If they use up any of those days, guess what? Next year you restart at three and you work your way up. This is very frustrating because again, this comes back to the same issue I'm talking about, which is that there's this pervasive notion that workers will abuse paid sick days and that workers need to earn the right to take paid sick days. When we look at the evidence, we know that, for example, for a common flu, I would recommend someone take three to four days off of work. When it comes to COVID-19, right now, isolation guidelines are at least five days. So for a worker that just starts working on day one, and, and many of these workers in federally regulated jobs are working in contract positions where they may not even have a full year, this leaves them at risk. So, you know, we need to address, you're right, at a societal level, we need to address what are the inherent biases we have here when it comes to how workers use these different workplace protections and how much are we really going to move to prioritizing workers. Real talk. Some people will abuse paid sick days, just like a lot of people will abuse anything. I mean, I've got buddies that go into grocery stores and still eat out of the bulk candy bins. I mean, there are people that will abuse the rules, but I guarantee you that most people will not, because what I see all around me uh, after 25 years of, 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 of participating in the workforce is that most people are actually hardwired to give their all at work. They're concerned about developing poor reputations. They're concerned about letting down their colleagues. I see it everywhere. If anything, doctor, I think the trend that we might need to combat is not people abusing paid sick leave. I think it's convincing people that they actually need to stay home when they feel sick because most people, and I'm saying this facetiously, have a bit of a hero complex where they're going to drag their ass to work even if they can barely get out of bed because they don't want to let the team down. That's what I see. 
And Ryan, you've outlined perfectly the issue of why paid sick days is a public health issue. I mean, this is why we're seeing workplace outbreaks. I mean, it's funny, the CDC cut down their guidelines to five days of isolation, which, by the way, is an economic decision. It was basically to make sure that people um, get to work sooner. Um, But this was justified by saying, well, you know, people were not following the 10 day isolation period anyways. That's how the CDC justified this. Well, guess why they're not following the 10 day isolation period? It's because they don't have paid sick days. I mean, it, it's, it's really frustrating having the same conversation with every single wave and asking ourselves, why have we not implemented this four or five waves ago, right? Um, but you laid it out perfectly. If someone doesn't have access to paid sick days, they're going to come in sick. And we, we keep talking about this absenteeism word. This is a word that started to get thrown around in Ontario. Uh, we're measuring rates of absenteeism that people are not coming in. The real issue here is presenteeism. Presenteeism leads to workplace outbreaks. And I don't know any employer that suddenly wants to have an outbreak in their workplace and needs to shut down their their precious uh, uh, bar or restaurant um, because they suddenly had a COVID-19 outbreak. So logically, this doesn't make sense. And this is absolutely why this is a public health issue. Doctor, I appreciate your advocacy on this. Uh, are, are you coming at us from the, the hospital right now? Or are you at home right now? I'm at home right now. You're at home. There was a perfectly timed siren right when we started talking, and I was envisioning you're in like <laughs> the physician's lounge while the ambulance is on its way out. But uh, we appreciate you joining us from home. Before I let you go, oftentimes, I mean, with experts like you with a ton of experience, I always like to ask if there's anything really important that you think we may have missed in our conversation. I know that you're inspiring a lot of people. I can tell by our live chat. We're kickstarting something here. Any detail we haven't covered? Yeah. One last thing is that paid sick days helps people get vaccinated. Um, I have data from Ontario, which saw that uh, we have a temporary sick leave program for COVID-19 and and vaccines here in Ontario, which um, is about three days um, that you get. It was mostly used in the summertime when people were using it for vaccines and many workers don't have access to this anymore. And now if we're asking workers to get a booster shot, guess what? They need paid sick days. Uh, think about yourselves. How many of you guys felt terrible the day after your booster? Yeah. Um, I mean, this this is the reality uh, of the situation we're in. And we know from evidence that paid sick days boost vaccination rates as well. So I just wanted to push that as well. Love it. Dr. Gabriel Steven, an ER doc uh, out of Peel, Ontario, a member of the Decent Work and Health Network. Thanks for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, guys. You bet. Yeah, I felt I felt like garbage the day after my first shot. And that was the day we had the exclusive with the prime minister. You remember <laughs> that, that? I I well, I mean, I remember the exclusive with the prime minister. I did not. I remember you were feeling rough about I the vaccine. And I was time. Uh, I just never like put those two together. Yeah. Mine was my second shot. It just knocked the me second out. shot. Gotcha. Second shot. My got second me. was oh, yeah. fine. My booster. Not a big deal at all. Felt the booster in the arm a little bit. The first one I was like, so this is what COVID feels like. Th- that was my you know, I'm not saying it was. I don't know if that's accurate, but boy, did I ever feel bad. I mean, I feel like I want to take you all behind the curtain and let you know if you see that Trudeau interview, if you go back, we're laughing and we're talking. I'm joking with him about 420. Some tough questions, too. And uh, but but the truth is, is that every time that I would go off camera, I would mop my brow. Do you remember that? I was so sick, but it's the prime minister. You can't be like, hey, Justin, can can you come by tomorrow instead of today? I'm feeling a little under the weather. I mean, the months went into that interview. So, oh, man, Hoyles. 
a surprise on camera appearance in the middle of that interview. It's a good thing you Brooks. were picking your nose. Brooks, he wanted to check in on you, put you up on camera. Look at that, you got Ranger in the background, stretched out on the couch. How are things in the Hoyles household? We, we're, we're missing you here in the workplace. Ranger is loving this. <laughs> Ranger has no idea that thousands of people every day oh. are, are monitoring his comings and going. He hears his name. She, yeah. I love it. Where's Charlie? Charlie is snoozing over over there. Yeah. I had a chance. Um, uh, we'll, we'll let real talkers know. I had a chance to pop by Hoyle's HQ the other day uh, to say hi. And I met Charlie for the first time. Charlie uh, is going to be enormous. Charlie is already ranger size and she's what how many months is she six months six months you have a you have a big pup on your hands my friend the food bills are going to be just enormous food bills are going to be enormous on the live chat uh when it comes to the talk about sick days this is pretty interesting like sarah says you know let's let's bring back she says that's a good point about the grassroots kind of thing you know not necessarily just looking to the federal government though that makes sense and obviously provincial governments could implement policy quebec uh, oils maybe you can take us into this a little bit quebec I, and people probably won't be surprised to hear has has relatively speaking a more robust protection for workers with paid sick leave but sarah says uh we should bring this conversation to every household all workers mm. urgently need 10 paid sick days uh sarah says 14 additional during a pandemic i don't know if you're getting it to 24 out of the gates that sounds can i use the word gratuitous without sounding insensitive i don't think you advocate for 24 <laughs> 24 seems to be a little much well uh, maybe you know maybe you you propose something like 50 and then as it gets, you know, negotiations, <laughs> are you then like it gets a, pushed back. You, you know, people people that participate in fantasy sports, like fantasy hockey, you're, you're like the one guy in my league that just makes terrible trade offers. He wants your best player for his absolute worst. And then you go, that is an insulting offer. And he says, well, you got to start somewhere. I'm more like I roll in. I, I'm not very good at the back. I just say, I come in and I say, this is my best offer. Take it or leave it. I'm not so much more of a negotiator. So we'll be interesting to see where people lean on this. People are talking about paid sick leave and, and how it's impacted them personally. Marie says she had paid sick days her whole career and only used them when she had surgery or is very sick. And I think that Marie would fall in the majority. Uh, you know, with regards to people are writing in to say that, you know, abuse of paid sick days is a myth. Nicole says, I've had to use vacation pay to cover sick days. I bet a bunch of people have. Right. Troy says capitalists would let a thousand people starve to keep one undeserving person from eating food they didn't earn. Interesting point. Dare I light a forest fire right now by saying capitalist doesn't have to be a dirty word. Dare I light a forest fire? Well, better get to the ads. Dram in a can. We're so excited to have Dram in a can on board. Check this out. Look at the size of this thing. This is 100 mils of two stacks Irish whiskey, and we're so thrilled to have them at this weekend's Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. The sold-out Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. Thrilled to have all 30 teams signed up Saturday in St. Albert. It's going to be an absolute blast. Everybody there is going to receive a can of two stacks Irish whiskey Dram in a can. Love it. You can buy it at Sherbrooke Liquor in particular as individual cans or in a four pack. They source their whiskey from Irish distilleries. They blend it themselves. You can, of course, drink it right out of the can. It's perfect for like backpacking, fishing, getting outdoors, whatever it is that floats your boat. If you can pour it over ice, what we like to do, you're hiking up near the glaciers. Go ahead and form yourself a little glacier ice cube and enjoy your two stacks dram in a can on your own homemade ice cube. How about that? 
You can find it again, as mentioned, at Sherbrooke Liquor. You can check them out online at SherbrookeLiquor.com. They've got their new location as well. If you're joining us uh, from Alberta's capital city or nearby, check out their website, SherbrookeLiquor.com. Their new location in Otwell is now open. Congratulations to all involved. A big shout out to our friends at Eden Landscaping as well. Mike, he wants to hammer this point home. Now's the time to get in touch with them if you want to have your outdoor space brought to life by this summer. I'm picturing a real talker. I'm I'm, I'm expecting we're going to get photos. Sam, I'm going to say they're probably going to be about the middle of July, maybe into early August. And it's going to be a real talker standing under their gazebo uh, that Mike and his team have put together. Perhaps maybe I envision them pulling a, a fresh pizza out of the pizza oven that's just been installed in their outdoor kitchen. Right. And they're going to send us these photos. and We're going to share them with you. And they're going to say to us, we got in touch with Mike at Eden Landscaping in January so he was able to get the ball rolling. Because who knows what timber you're going to use for your gazebo. Maybe it's going to take a while with the supply chain issues. Give them a call today. Check them out online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Have I told you enough about my Ram 1500 crew cab longhorn please tell us more well sam let me tell you this truck i really enjoy it because of its convenience (laughs) it is this is my first truck that i've ever driven i mean i've driven people's trucks i've borrowed a truck here and there but i've never had the keys had the plate on and been able to take it home and keep it before and it's starting to open me up to a world of possibilities just yesterday on my way to hockey i put the hockey bag in the back so convenient all that space in the second row of seating But of course, after you skate, the way the gear smells, well, then I threw my bag into the convenient box in the back. These are just some of the epiphanies I'm having as the driver of this new 1500 Ram Longhorn. You can find the full selection of Rams, plus the Jeep lineup too, online or in person at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Perfect timing. I love when that happens. I absolutely love when that happens. We're going to be talking to the former mayor's club in just a second. I think we got two or three locked and loaded. Is we that right? Two or three ready. That's okay, correct. perfect. We're going to be talking to Chris Spearman, Teravir, and the head Nancy coming up in just a second. We got this email from Nancy. Now, the truth is, is that we're just CC'd on this. We invite you to do this. Anytime you're corresponding with any level of government, CC talk at ryanjesperson.com. Let's the elected officials know it's on our radar. Let's us know what's on your radar. It introduces some accountability into this. And of course, it also allows us to look back and see where people are at with regards to how they perceive issues around them. Nancy has written this to the office of the premier, to the ministry of, the, of justice and to the finance minister. She CC'd the minister of energy, the health minister, the official opposition and us. And Nancy wonders why is the provincial government, the United Conservative Party in Alberta, blocking the Auditor General from presenting six performance audits of the government's pandemic management? Don't we learn from our mistakes? Why is the Auditor General being muzzled by the government? She says, seriously, I want to know the answer. I'm curious in St. Albert. That from Nancy. Sarah Hoyles has been keeping an eye on this story. This kind of flared up yesterday afternoon. And a little bit later on, after we talk to the mayor, Sarah's going to get us into the details here of exactly what's happening. There was a committee. The auditor general's presenting information to a committee saying this is something that we'd like to talk about. This is something that would be beneficial to study. 
But here's the deal. The government has a majority capability on that committee to quash things. So the elected members representing the government on that committee said, we're not going to give the auditor general the microphone here. This is not something that will be made available for public consumption. And so, as you can understand, people are troubled by it, to say the least. I'd also like to note the conversations that are happening here before we get to our mayors, conversations about eating out of bulk bins at supermarkets. I dropped that as a joke and only because a friend of mine told me the other day, I said, what's we were talking about gray areas in life. And I said, where do you break the rules on a regular basis in a context that does not bother your conscience one bit? And he told me, well, every time I go to the grocery stores, I snack a little bit out of the bulk bins and he doesn't pay for it. And as soon as I dropped that into that interview there with the good doctor, people just start like Craig in all caps wonders who the hell eats out of bulk candy bins like Craig's never seen it before. Gina says bulk bins, quite frankly, are just gross and really shouldn't exist. I'd be curious to know, Gina, if you can follow up in real time. Has your opinion on bulk bins and other things changed because of COVID-19 or were you always grossed out by bulk bins? Like a lot of people, I think, have changed their perspective on, on the ways that we have shared food, purchased food, sold food because of the pandemic. Sam, just the other day, I was with a pal. He had a big, huge bowl of popcorn. He reached in and grabbed a handful. I reached in and grabbed a handful. And then almost immediately, we looked each other in the eyes and said, maybe we should get two bowls of popcorn. And that's not something that had crossed my radar before. I think of parties that we've thrown where there's just a huge bowl of guacamole and everybody's dipping in. Or I had a taco birthday party once. It was the greatest. Hard shells, soft shells, flour tortillas, corn tortillas, pulled pork, pulled chicken, ground beef, you name it. It was amazing. But I wonder if you get away with that stuff anymore. Big salad bars. Like we've, we're kind of hardwired a little bit different now. Yeah, I think, you know, what's actually really interesting to me is like, I'm, I'm just even not so much talking about thinking about like chip dips and party bowls and that kind of stuff. But even just bulk bins at grocery stores is like pre pandemic, there was a growing movement to move towards buying everything in bulk, like bring your own containers, fill them up way right. more sustainable. You know what I mean? And I think that that is still a goal that we need to move towards. I think that that's actually still something that would like massively cut down on food waste, massively cut down on packaging. But uh, it, it's been pretty stalled in its tracks at this moment, you know? Yeah, understandably so. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like Tracy says, there are people who believe they are entitled to taste test. That <laughs> from Tracy. And Tracy's right. There are people that believe they are entitled to taste test. Remember, we ran that poll a while back where I asked you if uh, it was an unofficial unscientific Twitter poll, but I asked you if you're if you squeeze test in the produce aisle, like if you know, because I was I was grocery shopping myself and I saw somebody that was squeeze testing some fruit and veg. And most of you were kind of like, eh, I wondered if the pandemic has changed how you feel about squeeze testing fruit. As an example, touch it, put it back, pick up another one, touch it, put it back, pick up another one. As members of, you know, the general population, your fellow grocery shoppers stare at you and wonder what the hell is going on. Deborah says, I'm not into double dipping. I lost a friend over it. Deborah, please email us the story. Trisha says, I'm always making individual snack bowls. Meantime, McFury says, I'm missing potlucks. Uh-huh. Troy says he saw a sign in the cannabis store that said, puff, puff, don't pass. Yeah. When are people going to go back to passing joints around? Is that something that will ever come back? 
What about people that, you know, you know, the other day, a friend of mine grabbed beverages. We were out in Jasper, had an amazing time. We're at the Jasper Brewing Company. We got different beers. He goes, have a quick taste of mine, right? Like, have a quick taste. I what used do you to do that all the time. All the time. Constantly. Wouldn't oh, think yeah. twice about it. Yep. Let's ask our mayors. Arnold Palmer says, by the way, I'll never stop touching the fruit. <laughs> okay. Maria, great point. Use the produce bag as a glove. Do what you need to do, then turn the bag inside out as you pull the fruit into it. Maria says it's just like picking up dog poop. Yep. The last thing you want to make sure you use a bag when you pick up the dog poop, folks. Life principles here on Real Talk. Our next three guests. Yes, I am heading hot into this interview after talking about picking up after your dog. Don't read too much into it. Welcome to the former Mayor's Club, everybody. These three have represented their Alberta cities admirably over the last number of years, uh, but they did not seek re-election this past fall in the head Calgary's former mayor, Tara Veer, Red Deer's former mayor, and Chris Spearman, Lethbridge's former mayor. It's so great to see the three of you. Thank you for making time for us this morning. You guys squeeze test produce in the grocery stores. What's your protocol for that? <laughs> well, you know, when when you're the mayor and everyone knows you, you have to be on your best behavior yes. in the grocery store. I, I'd also just like to point out, Ryan, we're all thrilled to be here today. And, and Chris is, you know, active and doing lots of stuff in his retirement for for me and tara this is almost certainly the earliest we've been up in months <laughs> well i was gonna i was gonna congratulate i mean uh, you know former mayor veer um a, a, a has sort of coordinated and quarterback this whole thing so i know she's been working hard and the two of you chris and ahead both shaved for the occasion and so you know that means a lot and it says a lot Literally to this audience right this minute. yeah <laughs> looking good looking good i want to ask all three of you i just had a really interesting conversation i'm not sure if you heard it or with Dr. Gabriel Stephen out of Peel, Ontario. Uh, he's been participating. He's a member of the Decent Work and Health Network, and they've released some really interesting statistics on paid sick leave. And it shows that 70% of Canadians earning under 25000 have no paid sick days. And generally speaking, regardless of salary, 58% of workers in Canada lack access to paid sick days. Now, there's some initiative in Quebec. There's been some talk, Bill C-3, about a federal initiative. But he talked to us about the city of San Francisco, which has implemented its own policy, a municipal policy that demands paid sick leave for people living in that city. Uh, Mayor Nenshi, is, is that something that would ever have been considered in Calgary? Was that ever anything that was on your radar? Could you see a city in Canada taking on something like that? Well, uh, the easy answer is no. Um, it would be well outside of our powers. And sometimes you want to do things well outside of your powers <clears throat> to force a legal challenge. But in this case, that's probably not one that would have been successful. But I will tell you that this was a moment for me during the pandemic. There were a lot of moments for me, but it's been a long time since I have had a job where you can't take a sick day. Uh, in fact, I, I haven't probably had one since I was in university. And so I was shocked, frankly, at the number of people who simply don't have sick benefits. You know, my mother's a home care worker, for example, uh, when she had a close contact with COVID, had to isolate, no pay uh, in a, as a home care worker. And I was very surprised by that. Uh, and I shouldn't have been. I should have known better. And the fact that we have countenanced a society where the folks that we call essential workers, people who have to go to work every single day, uh, don't even have that basic protection, that's a huge hole in our safety net. And that's something that we've got to address. And frankly, that's a provincial responsibility. The provincial government has to do it. It will shock you to know that this provincial government has shown no interest whatsoever in patching up that safety net, even though it wouldn't cost them a thing. 
Mayor Veer, was this something that was on your radar when you were the mayor of Red Deer? I think it was probably elevated more so because of the pandemic uh, and the necessities uh, that came out of that. Um, I, I agree with uh, Nahed that, you know, in, in terms of it being an actual municipal power to mandate it citywide, um, probably not one uh, that any municipal council, particularly for a community of our side that size that would necessarily um, be compelled. Having said that, though, you know, from a public a service perspective, you know, our our city certainly looked at total compensation and, and I think, you know, to the best of our ability, led by example and, and negotiated that as part of our, our union contracts. Um, so I, I think it exists, but but it doesn't agree, it doesn't necessarily exist in all sectors across the board um, and concur that it is predominantly a provincial responsibility. Having said that, sometimes, you know, we've seen municipal movements translate eventually into provincial policy. Um, I think in a post-COVID world and our uh, social awareness and, and the acuteness of the circumstance will probably elevate that conversation um you know we, we didn't tackle it in recent years uh but i fully expect that that it will go there in in the coming years and and former mayor spearman what what mayor veer is talking about there I'm, I'm sure was part of your experience as well when you were serving as mayor of lethbridge just th- that simple fact the obvious probably assertion that the pandemic kind of changed the way we think about a lot of things and when we talk about public health or the health of a population uh, obviously there are steps that municipalities can take whether it's how union contracts are formed or whether it comes to putting bylaws together how what was there sort of a, a pandemic legacy move by your council that you think moving forward will, will continue to benefit people that are living in lethbridge or I guess what I'm asking you is how did the pandemic shape some of your leadership when it came to public health in the city of Lethbridge? Well, what our council did was we did bring forward an initiative to help people uh, with their housing costs. So, uh, you know, there people can apply for a subsidy if they're struggling. Uh, one of the first challenges for the working poor is having adequate housing and being able to stay in their housing. We have, um, they have massive challenges and, uh, I'm hearing now, even though I'm retired from people who are getting horrendous utility bills in the month of January, how do they maintain and pay those bills uh, uh, when their when their bills for heating have doubled from uh, December to January? So I'm hearing people getting bills of three hundred and fifty dollars for heating. Uh, these are housing, uh, food, uh, those types of things are the basic essentials of life. I think when we're talking about 70% of people earning $25,000 or less, uh, we're talking about the working poor. And I know that in uh, the city of Lethbridge, we have a significant proportion of our population are the working poor. Uh, so we did do something a little beyond our municipal mandate in terms of offering housing cost assistance. And I'm sure people will apply for that, but it's a, it's a whole package. Uh, I think people do have to have, uh, they do have to have sick leave benefits. I think that you could almost call that a basic human right. And in a modern affluent democracy like Canada and like Alberta, we should be able to look after those who have the least in our 
societies. Yeah, well said. Hey, Chris, just a, a technical point. Your mic's kind of scraping against your shirt, and um, it, we want to make sure everyone can hear exactly what you're saying. Thanks, brother. Um, okay. I, I, let, I'm going to be honest with the three of you, and, and uh, former Mayor Nenshi, I'll come to you first on this. We want to talk about ambulatory coverage and care in the province of Alberta. It's obviously a crisis point, and I'm going to uh, play a portion of an interview that we had with a Calgarian uh, just a short time ago. Uh, everyone was paying attention to Mar- Marcello DeCintio's post when he noted that his grandmother in her 90s had fallen and broken her leg and waited for like an hour for an ambulance. And it was a compelling interview. Uh, But the truth is, before I roll this clip from this interview, I want to let everybody know that every time I talk to politicians about ambulances, I hear from paramedics that say it's bullshit, it's politicking, they're not telling the truth. And every time I talk to paramedics about it, then people assert the politicians say, well, they're off and they're posturing it's not true. So I'm trying to get to the bottom of this of what the real issue is, what the real problem is in the province of Alberta. You have groups like Friends of Medicare that are advocating with campaigns like this. They're talking about a broken system. They say first they break it, then they privatize it. That's what the Friends of Medicare are concerned about, that the provincial government is making a move. They say privatization is not the solution to Alberta's EMS crisis. So there's a lot going on. And I know Albertans want to get to the bottom of this to understand where they should focus their efforts and their advocacy. Uh, This is Marcello DeCintio on Real Talk uh, explaining to us what it was like and how his perspective was shaped after seeing his nana, his grandma, lay on the floor for an hour waiting for care. We'll get to that clip in just a second as soon as Sam has it ready. Not a problem there. Sam, you let me know when we're ready to fire it. We'll get to Marcello DeCintio. Here he is on Real Talk. All right. Don't worry about it, Sammy. (laughs) Let me just tell you, friends, it was a very powerful interview. Take my word for it. Ned, what's the truth? What's going on here? Yeah, I can say a little about that. I've talked to Marcello about that situation. And so shortly, uh, in short, the situation is his 97, I think, year old grandma fell. And it wasn't safe for the people who were around her to lift her. And so they called for an ambulance, but she wasn't in immediate medical distress. So the ambulance took over an hour to come to pick her up. And this really highlights the challenges we have throughout the system. So to be brief, had that call been dispatched to the nearby fire station, there would have been a firefighter there within 10 minutes. They would have been able to pick her up to do a cursory check on her, make sure she was okay, and either call off the ambulance or say to the EMS folks, look, you're busy, come sometime today and check her out in case we missed anything, but it's not a huge rush. And she would have been up back up in her chair within 10 minutes. But that's not how the system now works. And this is part of the bigger challenge. And Chris and Tara can speak more to this. But I would say that, you know, as much as we talk about how AHS is overmanaged or sometimes AHS management can be high handed, uh, you know, we know better than anybody else. It is fair to say that we have an absolute crisis in the EMS system. And it has been very, very poorly run for over a decade. You know, in the recent election in Nova Scotia, the entire election turned on EMS and how poorly the EMS system was run there. And we are now in a situation where I'll be quite frank. If my mother, who lives with me, was having a heart attack right now, I would get in the car and drive her to the hospital. I wouldn't even wait for an ambulance or I would call the local fire hall and say, can someone come and do CPR? Because the EMS system is is not trustworthy anymore. And Albertans have every right to be furious about this. We deserve for what we pay 
a healthcare system that works and in particular an emergency response healthcare system that works. Part of this is because of COVID, you know, the demand has gone up 30%, but I'll just say the provincial government is lucky COVID is going on because if this was happening in a different time, this would be enough to take down the government. It's absolutely and completely inexcusable. And it's important for me to mention as the other two will as well, this is no knock on the paramedics. They do incredible work every hour of every day in a system that doesn't care about them, in a system that doesn't value their work, and in a system where simple systemic changes could make part of the difference as well as actually investing in the program. And the problem is we've got a system that is built kind of to one person's vision of what it should be in terms of how dispatch works, in terms of how uh, um, steam valve uh, releases capacity releases like using firefighters more to deal with some of the issues are not under use because there's no respect for the work that they do. And, you know, when the paramedics have to sit at the hospital nowadays for hours on end in the emergency room. And by the way, that came from the whole reason that EMS services were taken away from municipalities like the city of Calgary. It was thought EMS should be dealt with as part of the healthcare system instead of part of the emergency response system because we weren't going to hire enough ER nurses so the paramedics could sit in the ER and babysit the patients while waiting for them to be triaged. Sounded like a good idea at the time, but in fact has turned out to be drastically expensive and has really impaired our emergency response function. So it is a mess I welcome the review that's happening. The review is five to 10 years too late. Uh, Tara, was your experience, uh, did did it mirror that of what Ned's describing? Uh, Very much so. And I guess my quick answer is, is how long do we have to talk about this and and to get to the root of the issue? Um, You know, our experience, you know, and, and, and the three of us have been on municipal councils for many, many years. Uh, We've dealt with this issue many times over, uh, but particularly, you know, when we went public about 18 months ago, you know, one of the main points is, is that this is not about, nor should it, it should not be about politics. It should not be about personality. It should not be about ideology. The bottom line is when someone calls 911, um, those are life and death circumstances in on many occasions. There's critical decision-making and and seconds truly do count. Um, So we started to sound the alarm about 18 months ago. Um, But having said that, you know, know, Ryan, when you ask the question of what truly is the issue, I think we have to look back further. Um, Right now, HS is implementing an 11-year-old plan to centralize, you know, uh, dispatch and centralize ambulance services and you know to move towards this 11-year plan of a quote-unquote borderless system. But you know, and and we can sit here and debate the merits of an 11-year-old plan. You know, when you consider how much society and technology and um, you know patterns of settlement in Alberta have changed over the last 11 years, I you know personally I think to imp- I agree with the point that the review is long overdue. The fact that the that HS is implementing a, an 11-year-old plan is problematic um, because it'd be out to, out of date. But if you look at what's transpired since that time, you know, really what we have in Alberta is a decade of 
a sort of death by a thousand cuts of what was once the pride of the country in terms of an integrated provincial system. And, you know, now we have a decade of under-resourcing and a slow degradation of service where we move from, you know, this integrated model of advanced life support to a de-integrated model of basic life support. I, you know, want to concur with my colleague, this is not about the people and the paramedics uh, delivering this service. This is about system-wide pressures. But in the time that there's been that slow degradation of service, we've also seen overall general population growth in our, our province. We have health and social crisis and the complexity of calls. Um, you know, and in that time, there's been a loss of integration, you know, that I've mentioned between, you know, the dispatch, not just dispatching, but also the co-response with fire uh, in municipalities across the province. You know, I know that HS, you know, and our municipality was challenged on that saying, you know, is ambulance subsidizing the fire side? But we always said, you know, fire subsidizes the ambulance side. Um, and we do that because that's in the health and safety interests of our citizens. But where I think and why I think now the public um, has a, awakened to this more so is because people are, are realizing the consequences. And I remember Nahad saying, you know, about a year ago, he says, we don't want to be right on this. You know, he but but the, the tragedy now is people are realizing the consequence because what happened as soon as the dispatch changed uh, about, you know, just over a year ago, what happened was immediately, we said all along, this is not just about Red Deer, Calgary, Lethbridge, you know, regional municipality of Wood Buffalo. Immediately with that change, 230,000 to uh, 270,000 calls that the satellite centers were managing were immediately uploaded to the three centralized dispatch centers. So instead of having, you know, three major centers plus an additional uh, four satellite centers, all of a sudden that put pressure on a system that was already under pressure. And, you know, there was seismic change which occurred in emergency uh, service response without, and the point that we made, a sufficient transition plan. And the lack of that sufficient transition plan is what we're seeing now. You know, and at the time there were mitigation, operational mitigation measures that were promised. There was, you know, I can off the top of my head, I can think, oh, yeah, there'll be additional dispatchers. Well, you know, COVID and staff resourcing were at issue. Um, you know, there'll be additional ambulances. We're, we're going to do a pilot on interfacility transfers. Those operational mitigation measures that were promised have not been delivered on. And unfortunately, you know, now we're realizing the consequence of that. You know what, though? Like, honestly, and, and, and people are writing in, like James is saying, our mayors knew these changes would break EMS, and, and Nenshi and the rest of them are just too modest to say it. I mean, I remember we had conversations. I'm really proud of our coverage last year. We talked to, to the three of you. We talked to the fire chiefs from these cities. Like, we did comprehensive uh, analysis of what people were forecasting, what concerns they thought they'd have. A lot of it was around, de or, or, around centralizing dispatch, right? But I'm going to tell you, Honestly, I get a ton of feedback from people we vetted, people that are on the ambulances, people that are paramedics, people that are working right now that are saying it's a false flag. It's a red herring. They're saying that's not the problem. They're, they're saying oh, look, the centralized dispatch is not the problem ahead. It's absolutely not the entire problem. That is that is very true. 
there are there are systemic problems in the system that need to be fixed, but it is compounding the problem. And the reason it's compounding the problem is twofold. And Chris can speak a lot more to this than I can. The first is that the centralized dispatch just doesn't work as well. Um, that is frankly a relatively minor problem in the in what I would call the collapse of the system, but it is a problem because people don't know where to dispatch folks, right? The calls take longer because the dispatchers are not as familiar with the geography. But the bigger problem with the centralized dispatch is the issue of the coordination with firefighters and other emergency responders. Because I'll be very blunt about it. In Red Deer and in uh, Lethbridge, the firefighters are, are generally trained paramedics as well. That's right, right guys? In Calgary, no, they're not, but they are trained first responders. They are trained first aid people. And quite frankly, there are many, many, many more EMS calls than there are fire calls. So we got firefighters in neighborhoods, seven minutes away from any house in Calgary, uh, who are not, I don't want to say they're not doing anything, they're busy, but they're not on calls all the time. And so we've got trained first aid, first responders in the neighborhoods who can help and take some of the pressure off the system and they're not being used. You know, for a long time in Calgary, firefighters were allowed to drive the ambulances. So if the paramedics were dealing with multiple casualties, they could be in the back of the ambulance and the firefighters could drive the ambulance to the hospital because they have the right driver's license. That too has been taken away. And so it's just a, a huge disrespect for part of the system that could really help remove some of the pressure. Uh, but by the way, before, before uh, I finish, I should, correct myself. You know, now that I'm not a politician anymore, I'm uh, a little uh, a little too uh, easy in my words here. But yes, if your mother is having a heart attack, you should still phone 911, no matter how frustrated you are. Sure. Um, that was bad public health advice. But, you know, absolutely, I can see that people's trust and my own trust in the system is broken, not because of the great work the paramedics do, but because of the fact that the system has allowed to collapse in this way. I I probably shouldn't say this either, but I've talked to firefighters and paramedics that have told me that CPR rarely saves a life. The, the number one thing oh. it's not to say don't do it, uh, but the number one thing you got to do is get that person to the hospital. Um, mm -hmm. That's not to say. And, and again, I'm not like you said in the head. The number one thing is call 911. But uh, I had a, a fireman estimate to me, I don't know, about a month ago. He said that probably five percent or fewer of people that have CPR performed on them actually survive. It's not as effective as we might think. 100% percent true, but that getting that immediate response is important totally. regardless. Totally. So, you know, my, my dad is a good example of this when uh, he had a traumatic brain injury. And so he had a brain bleed and the firefighters arrived first because the firefighters are much closer and they were able to give him some oxygen and yes, a little bit of CPR just to keep him going until the uh, paramedics were able to get there. And to this day, I'm convinced his brain damage would have been much worse uh, and he probably would have died uh, if they hadn't had that early intervention, even then when the system was working better. Hmm. Chris, what are you able to say now uh, that you weren't able to say as the mayor of Lethbridge? I think that this, this conversation, uh, people, I mean, health and education, it's what we spend the most on uh, when it comes to the provincial budget. And it's what people care most about. Quite frankly, uh, the majority of people, uh, it's what's most relevant to them. The show is called Real Talk. Uh, what do you think would enlighten people or benefit people's understanding? Something you may not have been able to say as the mayor. I think I was pretty open as the mayor, but uh, I, I would say uh, that 
health has really suffered under this provincial government and uh, um, EMS is just one of the things, uh, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, the, the way doctors, you know, we have a massive doctor shortage challenge in the city of Lethbridge. 40% of our population does not have a family doctor. People, you know, uh, it's, it's uh, these types of things, it's, it's the way we've managed health policy for the last three years has really undermined the quality of healthcare that Albertans are receiving and uh, EMS dispatch is one. Um, I'll just go to a point, I think, uh, in terms of uh, supporting what uh, Nahed has said, uh, we had an individual have a massive heart attack at our uh, new health recreation center. The, uh, the fire trucks arrived first with trained paramedics and five paramedics conducted CPR for 25 minutes on this individual before the ambulance arrived and uh, that saved his life. And so there are, you know, you may say that occasionally, um, you know, uh, there, there are circumstances where somebody's life is saved by having an effective coordination of services and uh, that that no longer exists and i think uh, there does need to be that integration of trained personnel with uh, ems and the coordination to make sure that everybody has a chance to live that individual if that if that similar situation happened today probably would not survive you know, former Mayor Nancy, when you say that this is something that could bring down this government, I'd have to believe it to see it. Uh, there's been so much going on, and, and it's just, I mean, politically, it's just such a supercharged scenario right now, it seems, in, in the province of Alberta. I wanted to ask the three of you this in closing. What's, what's the best part, and what's been the toughest part of moving on from holding that office, from, from serving as mayor? Uh, former Mayor Nenshi, we'll go with you first, but I want to ask all three of you. Well, I've been able to focus a lot on my physical and mental health. Sadly, Omicron has kept me from doing the third thing I wanted to do, which is just reconnect with people yeah. a lot. Um, but uh, that's been that's been the best part. Uh, the other best part is that for me, and I don't know about Tara and Chris, but for me, it's actually been remarkably easy to let go of the work. I haven't watched uh, more than two minutes of city council meetings um, you know, I get my news from the news and try not to interfere. I told uh, all the city council members, I gave them my phone number and said, I'm losing yours. So if you need me, you can call me, but I'm not going to bug you. And um, I've just been very pleased with uh, how our city council has been managing um, the work they're doing. They're doing great. Uh, it's, it's been easier for me than I thought it would be to give up my ego um, and let them do their jobs, let the new mayor and council do their jobs. So overall, uh, it's been super positive. I just wish that we weren't still in a pandemic. Let me ask you something. The, 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 this trend, it's occurring. It's, uh, it's across partisan lines. It's absolutely brutal. Uh, protesters, demonstrators, uh, buffoons are showing up outside elected officials' homes. It's included the health minister, Jason Steffen. Uh, former health minister Tyler Shandro was accosted at a stampede event with his family. People have been showing up at the front door of uh, Member of Parliament, Calgary Skyview George Chahal's home, and Calgary's current mayor, Jody Gondek, had people outside her home as well. You tweeted, you said it's upsetting and never okay. Uh, did it ever happen to you? It never happened to me. Um, it was certainly threatened to happen to me. Uh, and at that time, it was easy to sort of 
have the advance warning that that was happening. But look, it's stupid. You're yelling at a house. You know, most houses in Calgary have big front garages. So basically, you're not even yelling at a window. You're yelling at someone's garage. Um, you're pissing off the neighbors. Sorry for the language. <laughs> you're gaining no support whatsoever for your cause. You're only doing it out of pure ego because it makes you feel good that you were able to threaten somebody. So quit it. It's just not appropriate. Tara, were you ever harassed at home at any point in your political career? Uh, not by way of protest, uh, but I, over the course of my career, and um, particularly during my mayorship, I did have a number of security incidences at my home. Um, not, not so much the massing of protests that we've had, um, but also just security issues in, in terms of the, of the office itself. Um, y- you know, so I don't, and I don't think I was necessarily unique in that. Um, you know, I, I didn't like to bring a lot of profile to that. I, I think sometimes that just spurs on other people. Sure. Um, I was always very pleased, you know, with our RCMP response to that and, and how it was how, the seriousness with which, uh, they had taken that. Um, but I do think it is concerning. I, I think with, um, particularly, you know, with concerns around public officials and safety and security. And, and again, in saying this, it, I think the safety and security of all persons is important. So it, it's not as though there's a differential with respect to elected officials. But, you know, I, you know, my position on public life has always been, I've put myself in, in that position. I've offered, you know, myself as in public service. Um, but I have loved ones that, you know, it was my choice. It wasn't theirs. Um, and, you know, certainly had concerns about the safety and security or of my loved ones as well. Um, but we want, you know, good people to seek uh, office. And, you know, if we want elected officials to be leaders and not politicians and good people to seek office, um, then, then that needs to be, we need to have important conversations about, about, you know, protests in front of private homes and, and some of the online vitriol and, and threats uh, that, that come uh, the way of elected officials. Yeah. I I mean, I can say it's, it's easy to dismiss threats as online cranks and people that'll never follow through until somebody does. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chris, did you ever have that experience at all as mayor Lethbridge? Uh, not at my home. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, we had uh, anti-maskers come into City Hall en masse and take over a city council meeting. Uh, we basically adjourned the meeting and left right away. But, uh, you know, it was the lack of the lack of respect for the process. Uh, if you want to address city council, there are ways to do that. Uh, you don't just storm into a meeting with uh, 100 people and... Uh, and take over the council chambers. So uh, that was that was probably the worst. Uh, I've got some I, audience members that are curious to know for, for your take on the the new Lethbridge Council, the dynamic of it. There was a there was a bit of a swing with, with regards to where that mayor's office went to with new Lethbridge Mayor Blaine Hagan. Um, certainly, he would say a right wing conservative. Blaine and I have, uh, I should say, Mayor Hagan and I have have he said he's going to come on the show. I look forward to talking to him. But it's a bit of a different feel at City Hall in Lethbridge now, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, it, as Mayor Nenshi has said, uh, it's a new council. I think there's things they'll learn as they as they go along. Uh, you know, every leader uh, adds adds a different tone to the council, and I I'm going to respect uh, the will of the voters, and uh, I'm not going to second guess. I don't know if there's if they want any advice from me, that's that's great. 
Um, I may share some of my uh, past experiences in terms of why we got to where we were on some things, but uh, I'm not going to publicly criticize uh, City Council. I'm, uh, the I thing is, Chris, I- it would be really great for our downloads if you would. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I've I've told people if I ever write a letter to the editor of the Lethbridge Herald, come over and shoot me. But, uh, I don't. <laughs> you might want to say that these days, pal. Yeah, uh, I don't know why right, we're right laughing. No, I'm, I shouldn't I'm, be laughing. I'm at hiding that. out. And I'm I'm after the election. I moved to the Castle Valley. That's what you see behind me. Yeah, that's the view, that's the view from my front window every day. Are you serious? Yep. Oh and, wow. Uh, so. Uh, I live in peace and quiet. I'm out of the public view, which is what I wanted in my retirement. You've earned it, uh, pal. I, I go skiing from my front door every day. I can, uh, and it's, uh, you know, I, I think th- I'm, I'm at peace with my decision. Are and, you a big, uh, uh, you big cross country skier? Uh, we do something called backcountry skiing. It's much easier oh, than yeah. cross country skiing. With the skins on? Yeah, the skins are built into the skis, so a hill's not a problem. So cool. And the skis are twice as wide and half as long. So that you're going, you know, anybody can use backcountry skis. It's like going for a hike. And it's it's way more fun than snowshoeing. You you go 10 times as fast. So you cover a lot of territory. That whole area behind me, we could probably do that in two or three hours, just in a big circle. Unbelievable. Uh, for people that are that are listening on the podcast, you'll have to check out a still image or check out on YouTube to see what former Mayor Spearman's talking about. And and former Mayor Nenshi, I should note that a bunch of people that are tuned in from the southern part of the province are commenting on your background. Was that the Upside Down Church? Is that Calgary's East Village? What is that behind it you? It is the device to root out evil, it's called. And it's one of my favorite pieces of public art. And again, I'm up early for me in my retirement. So there was no uh, tidying up my office behind me. Yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to buy that, by the way, Mayor. I'm not going to buy that you're retired. I don't buy that any three of you, maybe Mayor Spearman, because he was talking about it for like a year. And I don't think you could get him out of those ski boots. But I don't buy that Mayor Zvira and Nenshi are retired, not for one bit. Uh, we already know what Chris's best part about being out of office is because he can't wipe that smile smeared across his face. Nahed's told us, so Tara, we'll ask you in closing, what, what's been the best and maybe what's been the toughest part of walking away from that office of the mayor? You know, I had, I, I would say, overall, I would say it's been positive. You know, I served in municipal office uh, for 17 years. I absolutely love my community. I, you know, I jumped into Feeded and I lived and breathed the, the people of Red Deer for, for 17 years. Um, you know, in making my decision, you know, I always you know, knew that I had other uh, personal goals and career goals uh, that I wanted to. And I knew that if I had saw municipal office again, that I wouldn't follow through on those. You know, probably my greatest challenge is I I didn't want to let the community down, you know, by, um, you know, because I, I love waving my community's flag. And so that, you know, that was that sort of ambassadorial role of standing up for Red Deer. Um, but, you know, really... I worked until, you know, election night I and, and, you know, there's that week transition. I worked until 11.59 and then, you know, I drove away from City Hall at midnight and I haven't looked back. I, you know, the, the, the people have elected a new council, uh, like my colleagues, I'm, a, I'm available to give some history and context if they need that. 
Um, but I, I think it's really important for leaders when you leave office to give the, the new elected officials the space uh, to take the torch and, and to carry that on. Um, and I'm finding new ways to serve my community. And, and you know, it, it has been great. The last couple of years in particular, I think, have been challenging um, for everyone, but it, it has been great. I'm, I'm, you're right, Ryan, I'm not retired. Um, I have taken some personal time. It's been great connecting uh, with loved ones and, and doing things uh, that when you're in public service, you don't necessarily have time to. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of laugh when people say I'm retired and am I enjoying retirement? You know, I, I hope I have at least a couple uh, more plays <laughs> uh, left in, in my career path. But who knows? Maybe they're sending me a message too. But <laughs> I, 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 uh, yeah, can, no, I, I consider us to be friends. I will intervene if it ever gets into that territory, Tara. I promise you that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I really appreciate the three of you. Uh, I think that uh, there's a word that one of our audience members used in the chat, which I think uh, is the one that we'll leave you with. And they've they've appreciated the thoughtful nature of this panel, which I appreciate. Uh, and she was the mayor of Calgary for many years. Uh, Tara Veer, uh, the mayor of Red. At one point, I, th- I think, weren't you the youngest mayor in the province at one point? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh- Yes, although Sean uh, McIntyre was a year younger than me, so he was the mayor of Sylvan Lake. That's right. The youngest, uh, I'm the youngest female, I think, elected. Youngest female elected. And I've always always felt kind of a parallel, you and me. We were kind of kicking off our careers at the same time. I was radio reporting in Red Deer, and you had just been elected to city council. And uh, and here we are talking about your retirement. Pretty wild stuff. Uh, Chris Spearman was the uh, mayor of Lethbridge and uh, and now just living his best life as evidenced in every look at that grin. You're going to break your face, pal, if you keep smiling this big. Life is good if you're Chris Spearman. Thanks to the three of you. We really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Ryan. Great conversation. Uh, We appreciate Tara for pulling that one together with Sarah Hoyles. Uh, You can let me know what you think. I mean, the ambulance stuff is obviously serious business. And and I want to promise you that these are the interviews we want to do where I'm just going to say, listen, when we talk to politicians about this, paramedics say it's BS. When we talk to paramedics about it, politicians say that's not the whole truth. And then I want people to just take those questions head on. and, and, And I appreciated that had said, listen, that's not, you know, for example, centralized dispatch is not the entire problem. It's part of the problem. There probably is a very real threat of some form of privatization. And they're probably if you're like me, you sit here and you sift through all this anecdotal evidence, right? What people tell us. And then we try to take a look at statistics wherever they're relevant. Things like response times. Code reds where ambulances are not available in communities. We take a look at dispatches where ambulances are being sent. You know, I saw somebody on the chat say that at their their parents' care home somewhere in Alberta. Uh, you know, they saw they saw an ambulance there from Lloyd outside the care home. I mean, that could just be a patient transfer. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's problematic. But we are seeing evidence that ambulances are being dispatched from communities in some cases ninety minutes or two hours away. To respond to calls, they're pulling ambulances out of out of smaller communities to come, you know, answer calls in in major metropolis, you know, cities of a million people, cities like Calgary. So that's very real, and it's a story we'll continue to follow. If you are an insider, so to speak, if this is your business, if this is your profession, it doesn't just have to be EMS. Doesn't have to just be healthcare. Your perspectives shared with us on or off the record can go a long way in pointing us in the right direction on digging into stories that truly, truly matter. Like whether or not people are still doing the squeeze test when it comes to fruits and vegetables at the grocery store. Like Tracy, for example, says grocery stores all have hand sanitizer right when you walk in. 
and I wash all kinds of foods before I eat them. So squeeze away. Meantime, LJ says, what about when people lick their fingers to open the bags, the produce bags, They lick their finger to open the bag and then they're touching the fruit. Sharon says she's seen veggie cleaning spray. You remember back in the day? Were you were you the were you the type to bring home your girl? And, and I don't I'm not laughing at people. Nobody knew we were all trying to do the right thing. But you remember back in the day, early in the pandemic, people would bring groceries home and then they like spray the cereal box with Lysol disinfectant spray. I or remember, they like I wash remember, everything. Yeah, I remember people doing that. I did not participate in that ritual. Like I, I'm like I like fruits and vegetables. I wash all of them before I eat them. It's like standard practice for me. So unless like, you can peel them. Yeah, unless you can peel even some of that I peel, I usually give a quick rinse to. Really? Yeah, sure. Why not? Wow. Well, no, I agree. Why not? Yeah. It just sounds like a lot of work, you know. <laughs> I also asked about passing joints around. A bunch of stoners joining us this morning. Tracy says, for example, passing joints. When will we get back? Tracy says, at this point, I need the whole joint. Tracy, we are all Tracy. <laughs> I saw another one I wanted to read. Where is it? I can't remember. The chat is humming this morning. Alyssa basically said, yeah, we're back. She says, my girlfriend and I and her husband, we passed one around this weekend. Hoyles, how has your attitude changed with regards to kind of, you know, how you might socialize coming out of the pandemic? We're talking about things like salad bars, popcorn bowls, big guacamole dips in the middle of the table. Uh, Is that something like five years out from this? Let's say 2030. Did I just forecast this thing's going to last three more years? Oh, jeez. In 2030, will you be back sharing popcorn in some circumstances with people that could be complete strangers? Oh, no. no. I mean, were you ever I, that irrelevant? Were you ever? Yes. Okay. hundred yeah. yeah. percent. I mean, I, I love a good buffet and I, like one of our live chatters, sorry about um, potlucks, like love a good potluck, love yep. hosting potlucks because then you would have all the leftover food, which is amazing. But yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I also love fondue, like having all the different um, people with their forks, sticking them in the fondue. That, that is just kind of, well, ew, ew. it kind of makes my skin crawl. I mean, to the point around groceries, I wash things still. And we didn't know at the beginning what, how this thing was getting around. Totally. Do you remember, do you remember when par, uh, playgrounds were cordoned off? Kids could not go to playgrounds because we didn't know if the pandemic COVID was being transferred by touch. That's that. That um, image is seared into my memory of yeah. the yellow do not cross tape around playgrounds. That me to too. me was it's like a, it was like a metaphor. It looked like an album cover. Right. I felt yeah. like we were in an episode of with the walking dead. Yeah, it was like kind of like just, scorched earth kind of. Yeah, exactly. Walking or Terminator dead. or whatever. Like, ooh, I just was like, and this is where we are. Have you seen the new Terminator? Either of you? There's a new Terminator? Yeah, there's a new one out. I haven't seen it. Uh, Linda Ray says, get your own joint. Uh, Patrick <laughs> is not sharing his bong. I had no idea. There, This is great. Troy says, I'm not a stoner. I am an altered states enthusiast. <laughs> I broke a bit of a rule unintentionally the other day. And Sarah, you did not slap my wrist, which I appreciated. I, I inadvertently was sending personal tweets from the Real Talk Twitter account for about an hour without realizing it, um, uh, including celebrating the fact that I had found a 28 gram bag, an ounce bag of Joy Botanicals Electric Avenue. Uh, 
at Value Buds in Mayfield Common in West Edmonton. And um, I'm sure that some people were wondering why the Real Talk account was celebrating the availability of Joy Botanicals cannabis in West Edmonton. But uh, I appreciate that you gently brought that to my attention. Ryan, did you mean, did you know, did you? I I I didn't want to, you know, make you embarrass you. No, no, it's it no, that's fine. That's fine. You go ahead and embarrass me. Uh in a second I want to ask you serious business what's going on with Alberta's Auditor General. Mm. Uh, but of course, first we want to mention the the people that are ensuring this show is coming to you each and every day and that includes the team at Kendall Jackson. When you talk about excellence in winemaking, Kendall Jackson is part of that conversation no matter what you're talking about, whether you're talking about the West Coast of the United States, whether you're talking about who's doing amazing work in Chardonnay, maybe you're talking about which vineyards and which companies are doing amazing work on the sustainability front. You tick all the boxes with Kendall Jackson. I want to personally recommend the Stature Collection. This is the pinnacle of Kendall Jackson's work. It's a state-sourced, hand-blended for complexity, ageability and power you can find stature by kendall jackson anywhere you buy fine wines if you don't see it make sure you ask for it kendall jackson is real talks wine of the month for the month of january now maybe all this talk about vineyards maybe all this talk about california has you longing for some time away from home maybe some time in the sun you've got your booster You've walked those heavy miles and you deserve it. Well, if you're going to head out of town, I encourage you to keep some money in your pocket by booking online at jetsetparking.com. Leave your car at Edmonton's International Airport at Jet Set Parking with the promo code REALTALK. Pre-booked parking is just $7 a day. Just $7 a day to park your car at Edmonton International Airport. This offer is good for travel all the way through to the end of 2022. Book today using the promo code REALTALK at jetsetparking.com. Our friends at Local Waste have an exciting 2022. It's already playing out. They are growing their footprint across the prairies. Alberta, Saskatchewan. This is construction, commercial, and residential waste and recycling collection. They do it all. I mean, maybe you're moving, you're clearing out your basement. This is a great time to go through your stuff, give, donate, and throw away. Those are the piles you're putting together. A 10-foot bin might be exactly what you need. Maybe a new roof is going on in your place. Maybe you're redoing your siding outside. Maybe after some hail damage, those big 40-foot bins, they do those too. They'll find a situation that fits your needs. And if you're a long-term customer, they're proud of their relationships. They earn your business each and every month at localwaste.ca. Well, we got that uh, email I read you from Nancy in St. Albert. She's asking the premier why his government is blocking Alberta's auditor general from presenting performance audits, six of them, of the government's handling of this pandemic. Sarah Hoyles, as the editorial producer of the show, is keeping an eye on this story. What's the deal here with the Auditor General? So this was yesterday. This was yesterday in the legislature. The Auditor General, he he showed up and said, I, I have these, these reports and I, I think folks would like to know about them. And the entire group of UCP members of this committee, all of every single one of them voted no. No, the public cannot see them. No, the Auditor General cannot share them. And so we won't know exactly, you know, how, although maybe, you know, 
maybe we get a sense of how the handling of COVID went. I think we, some of us have some opinions about it, but there's actual Auditor General report about it. And the whole point of having an Auditor General is that to make sure that the government and the government departments are doing their jobs effectively and transparently well and the auditor general i think it's worth pointing out although it might be obvious is a non-partisan office right and that's why i think that this is really important because sarah you and i would have and do have different opinions on what effective pandemic management should look like and me and it has nothing to do with me and you me and the next person i talk to or the next person i talk to we'll all have different ideas on what good effective empathetic evidence-driven, intuitive pandemic management looks like. And that's why I think, I mean, we cut through all the BS. We know that the, the, the United Conservatives will find some spin on this that the, for, for whatever reason that uh, there's no need to take a look into these findings. The official opposition is going to light its hair on fire and say, this is absolutely ridiculous and preposterous. And, they, you know, they don't care about people and they don't care about you. And uh, what I think most people want is to see a nonpartisan audited analysis of pandemic management so we can learn from it that benefits everybody i don't quite frankly care about the politics of it as a matter of fact i'm very sick of the politics of the pandemic it's exhausting but i would love and i think albertans are entitled to see the auditor general's findings i don't know how much longer the government gets away with this one the only thing is we know that stories like this get lost in the noise like that was pretty remarkable for Nahed Nenshi to talk about EMS and healthcare management and say this is the type of thing that could bring down a government. I said, I'll believe that when I see it, because there's so many things going on and there's so much controversy and everything's a hot button issue. I mean, you think of all these distractions that are happening, like, why do you think? For example, why do you think that certain politicians right now are so loudly in support of the truck convoy as an example? Could it be because it's serving as a massive distraction from some of the other stories that were becoming very inconvenient for those politicians? Could it be? You got a keen eye on this stuff, and we know you do, too, as an audience of a show like this. And we appreciate your continued correspondence with us. Before we sign off, I want to remind you that Mike's Meals this month at Friesen Brother is the Alberta Pierogi Pizza. And if you've not yet tried it, you deserve it, my friend. You got to find your way to a Friesen Brothers. There's 16 of them across the province. And this is the Alberta Pierogi Pizza with real Alberta potatoes. They've got a ton of cheese on there. And then just the perfect amount of cayenne pepper. I recommend Mike's Meal of the Month. This is the Alberta Pierogi Pizza. Also a reminder, at Friesen Brothers, the first of the month, every month, is 15% off. If you're spending more than $75, Make sure you check that out. 15% off is a big deal, especially with inflation and everything else. These The money crunch our families are feeling these days. Make sure you check out Friesen Brothers, Alberta grown, Alberta owned, and their Toonies for Tummies fundraising continues. All of the details online at Friesen.com. If ice cream is more where you're leaning these days, you don't do any better than the DQ lineup, the take-home treats, the DQ ice cream sandwich, and the world-famous Dilly Bars. Right now, the take-home boxes, the Real Talk special of the month for January. If you mention Real Talk or my name at a drive-thru or in-store, the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, I'm talking Baseline Road, Westmount, Newcastle, Nemeo, and Palisades, you're going to buy one box of Dilly Bars or DQ ice cream sandwiches and take one home 
for free. I'm also thrilled to let you know that the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton will be representing at this weekend's Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. We're going to have DQ burgers. We're going to have treats. And I'm not sure if they even want me to announce this, but Dagnabbit, I'm doing it anyway. Thanks to Dairy Queen of Northwest Edmonton, the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton, for sponsoring our partnership with Pride Tape this weekend at the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic in St. Albert. Even if you're not signed up to play, we got 30 teams signed up to play. We're sold out. Super excited about this tournament. We encourage you to come down and check it out. It's going to be a wonderful day of hockey. Everybody's going to be outside. We're observing all of the restrictions, exemption programs, scanning QR codes. It's going to be a great day family-friendly, safe, and fun environment. Come down, have a cold beer, watch some pond hockey, the sounds, the sights, all part of Hockey Day in Canada. It's the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. Coming up tomorrow on the show, very much looking forward to a conversation about vaccine equity. What do we need to consider in the first world with regards to making vaccines accessible to others? Plus, a very special guest. Sam, let's see it. Can we get the graphic up? We're really excited to announce tomorrow I'm going to be having a sit-down interview and a very good one with Brian Bobler. What? Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing Director, Josh Dunford. Account Coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise Operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's Editorial Board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.